This podcast was recorded on the date indicated with the link. The views and opinions expressed herein are as of the date recorded and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities. Such views and opinions may differ from those of Doubleline Capital or its affiliates and are subject to change without notice. Doubleline has no obligation to provide updates or changes. everybody. Welcome to The Sherman Show. I am Jeff Sherman. I'm here today along with my co-host, Sam Lau. Hey, hey. And we are joined today by a special guest from Double Eye. He is none other than Robert Cohen. Robert, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. For those of you who don't remember Mr. Cohen, uh, he is the Director of Global Development Credit here at Double Eye. Uh, he oversees our investment-grade, high-yield, and loan portfolios uh, for our multi-sector strategies as well as standalone strategies. Additionally, uh, Mr. Cohen oversees our CLO business that we run internally here under the Parallel brand. So welcome to the show, Robert. All right. Glad All right. to be here. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm still glad you're here after the second intro. So um, maybe uh, just for a refresher real quick here too, maybe you can tell people a little bit about your background, what brought you to Double Line, and why you like everything about the global developed credit world. Ah, well, I've been at DoubleLine now for 11 years, so what I did before that is becoming quite foggy, but uh, now I've spent my whole time in, in credit. Uh, I started a bank, went through a formal credit training program, uh, then became a, a high-yield credit analyst and uh, been in the business ever since doing, doing uh, security analysis and bottom-up uh, credit analysis. Joined DoubleLine in 2012, which makes this my 13th year. And uh, I just, you know, what do I like about credit? Like, wait, hold on a second, Robert. Um, you may be good at credit, but math's a little weak here. You just <laughs> said 11 years. Then you told me you joined in, in 2012 and you put 13 years on it. Are you, we time traveling? Did, I say, 13? did yeah. I say 13 years? I thought yeah. I said 11 years. Yeah, you did the first time. Then we went to 13. Oh. So those of you that aren't familiar with this, we are recording this on Friday, June 9th of 2023, Robert. Okay. Yeah. All okay. right. So I did join in 2012. This is my 11th year. I think I was in 2023. I don't know why. I got the got it right the first time. Yeah. <laughs> no. Anyway, like, you did take, take an exam. The first uh, first response is usually the best one. I'm gonna go with that. Yeah, just like uh, in trading, right? First bid, my best bid. It, it moves back after that, right? So that's right. Uh, so uh, the reason we wanted to have you on, Robert, one is we haven't talked to you in a while here in this format. I know you and I had had a meeting this morning. Uh, but in general, I thought it would be good to get people, uh, you know, your updated view as, as a credit analyst and someone who really thinks about the macroeconomic cycle. Um, what, what are you seeing? Where are we in the cycle? What are you seeing as some of the trends within, underneath your various markets? Yeah, well, I think this is a very exciting time in credit. We're clearly late cycle. So what does late cycle mean? That's when companies uh, try to defend their balance sheet. So instead of raising uh, money and borrowing more, they tend to be trying to pay down their debt. That tends to be when credit conditions get tight. Lenders are more strict, uh, more, are, are more discerning uh, about the companies that they lend to. You often see credit uh, metrics deteriorating in that environment when it's late cycle. So you see earnings dropping, leverage higher, uh, free cash flow going down. I'll just contrast that with 2021, which was an environment where we saw 
uh, instead of late cycle, that seem closer to early cycle behavior, where uh, you know because the interest rates were so low and and that was uh, creating a boom in the in, in the stock market, we had uh, really very lax lending standards, uh, record new issuance. That's typically when mistakes happen. That's typically when there is little variation in the pricing of risk. And that's the period where you build up risks that you pay for later. Uh, that can be in valuation, but it's also in structure. It's in the types of companies that get financed. Now you fast forward to today, uh, weaker companies don't have access to capital. So the market is very, uh, like I said, discerning regarding credit. And the mistakes that were made in 2021, you're starting to see you know, the outcomes of those here in 2023 is, Credits, some credits are defaulting, some are near default. The weaknesses in documents in various parts of the credit market are creeping into uh, uh, create problems. And so that's where I think we are. We're in a late cycle period. Uh, it, it usually comes to a crescendo when you have a peak in the default cycle. And that's after the peak default, that's when you start to enter the recovery phase where credits start to, uh, cre credit spreads start to tighten, uh, money starts to come back into the market and you start this tightening cycle. We're clearly not there yet. Yeah. So um, on that too, a lot of people like to say this late cycle. I want to be up in quality. They're kind of ambiguous phrases, though. So you know, let's get a little more narrow on this. It's late cycle. Have we started to see the default cycle begin? Um, is it meaningful? And what does late cycle mean to you? Well, like I said, late late cycle means that. Uh, you're you're in a in a tightening credit environment. So I think that's where we are. It's clearly tightening credit. When you say that the market wants to be up in credit quality, that's consistent with tighter credit standards. That's where we are now. And the default, you know, there's been some slight tick up in defaults, but we have haven't really had meaningful defaults yet in in this economic cycle. So uh, I think you end an economic an economic cycle in credit by getting to peak defaults. So we're not there yet. So maybe if we want to use peak and trough, trough defaults as a way to maybe describe various points in the cycle, that would be. Some people think of like where we are in the economic cycle in terms of growth. But if we just think in terms of peak defaults and trough defaults, that might be one way to look at it in below investment grade. Um, in investment grade, it's similar things, but the investment grade typically doesn't default. So I'd look for um, you know, growth and new issue, uh, growth and leverage, growth and risk taking, as opposed to companies that are defending their balance sheets, borrowing less, paying down debt. Uh, that's how I would think about it. Yeah. So, so going back um, 11 years here at Double Nine, as we've confirmed it uh, a yeah. little bit before, then you're around during the GFC. Can you put some of the things that you've been talking about into context? So when you use the the term uh, peak defaults, can you kind of paint the picture where we saw defaults peak in high yield back in the GFC, back in perhaps you know 2020 for the pandemic, where people are expecting, or maybe even where you guys are thinking it might head to in this next cycle. And then on the other side of that, you know, there's uh, when we think about loss, there's you, you, there's two parts of it. You got the default, then you've got the uh, loss given default, right? So how are those things looking today relative to how you might have characterized it in past cycles? Yeah, well, starting with peak defaults, uh, the peak default rate in the leverage credit space in is 2009, I believe, uh, peaked around 10%. Uh, so 
So Robert, when you say leverage finance, can you explain that too for our listeners? Yeah. Uh, when we're talking about leverage credit, we're talking about both the bank loan and high yield market. People tend to talk about both markets. They uh, work kind of in tandem with each other. There's often cases where borrowers will tap both markets for a senior secured term loan and an unsecured high yield bond. Lately, uh, over the last, uh, really since the pandemic in 2020, uh, you're seeing borrowers tap the loan, the high yield market and loan market for both the, a secured and a secured loan and a secured bond. So they're both secured. It's just picking fixed versus floating. And so the market uh, is there really for to provide uh, below investment grade borrowers these these various features that are causing the two markets to sort of blend together. But uh, people think of those two markets broadly as the below investment grade, the, the leverage credit market. So. So you're talking about defaults it peaked around 10% in the last cycle. Uh, uh, that was a pretty severe downturn. So if we think that this downturn, if we have a recession, is less severe, then maybe the default rate isn't it doesn't peak as high. Uh, but the recovery rates, which you mentioned, or the loss given default, I think we can expect, at least in the bank loan market, to be worse than we experienced in the prior cycle. And why is that? Uh, it's uh, all the all of the uh, uh, things that have been making the news over the last decade are now going to come to fruition, and we're going to feel the pain now about documents. So there's a period where people worry about covenant light. Uh, there's been a, a stripping of what's called incurrence tests, which re limit the amount of additional borrowing that a company can do. So all this weakening of structure means that the protections you had as a senior secured lender have deteriorated. So in a prior cycle, maybe bank loans would recover 70 or 80% of their uh, you know, initial par value in an environment where all that is stripped away on top of some other considerations, which we can talk about. I would expect the recoveries to be maybe closer to 50% or even lower. That's just talking about structure, but don't forget we also have uh, other aspects like just aggressive lending means companies that maybe shouldn't get capital are getting capital Maybe the maybe the loan market should have just avoided them altogether. There's also, uh, I suppose, another element of structure is leverage. So leverage is higher than it used to be. So you put the documents, the higher leverage, and the weaker credits all together, you're going to have lower recoveries. I contrast that with high yield, where you have a higher percentage of double Bs. So double Bs used to be 30 something, 35 percent of the loan market of the high yield market. Excuse me. Now they're almost 50 percent of the high yield market. Uh, secured high yield used to be de minimis, 5 6% of the high yield market. Now it's 25%. So while the loan market has been getting worse in credit quality, the high yield market's actually been getting better in credit quality. And the reason for that is, you know, mostly fund flows. Uh, after the high yield market got walloped from the uh, energy crisis, when energy in, oh, was it 2012, 2013? I don't remember the exact time frame. went to over $100 and then dropped down into the 30s. Well, that caused this cascading wave of defaults in high yield. And then the high yield market got religion and uh, became the, the uh, tightness in credit standards really started in the high yield market in 2015 when, uh, when the uh, energy defaults really hit. So while the high yield market was tightening, Borrowers that are looking for aggressive financing went to the bank loan market, and so risks built up at the bank loan market just while the high yield market was uh, improving in credit quality. So on that backdrop, too, we've seen an aggressive Fed hiking cycle here. Um, you know, it, 
in the last 14 months, we've seen 500 basis points of incremental uh, yield being put in on the front of the curve, which, you know, when you talk about loans, for instance, right, they tend to be floating rate in nature, right? So I think about the um, just the structure of, of the market over the last few years, and you know interest rates were extremely low, loan loan rates were low, term financing like in high yield and investment grade was very low, and historically when the Fed tightens, you know it, it's over a longer period of time. You don't usually get 500 basis points in 14 months, but I, I think about like the the IG and the high yield markets as being better quality as well because they've been able to term out that fine so their coupon rates are low so right. normally people look at the high yield market as the one that leads the default cycle right do you think it's different this time again you argue for the credit quality now so aspect but also on the standpoint of looking at just the floating rate coupon these companies are all in the loan market paying 500 basis points more than they were 14 months ago so right. does that lead to more stress in the loan market? Or how are you thinking about that as we go through this part of the cycle today? Yeah, the loan market uh, is more at risk, undoubtedly. It's on, at risk today because uh, the weaker parts of the loan market, uh, just as you mentioned, have uh, the higher the higher base rate is putting stress on, on their free cash flow. Um, the, the B minus part of the loan market is about 25% of the entire market, so a quarter of the whole whole market. And I'd say those on average are probably are at best free cash flow neutral, and many of them are free cash flow negative. So they're kind of a ticking time bomb. If they're free cash flow negative, they're going to run out of cash soon enough. They're also not refinanceable at today's tight with the today's today's tight credit markets. So if uh, if uh, if they had to refinance now, they wouldn't be able to. So certainly that is the first place that I would think there's going to be defaults and credit losses and credit stress. And I guess another point I make is that the credit markets right now are very efficient. So if you were buying credit in any market, investment grade, high yield loans, uh, you're buying a much better priced market. So if we want to focus continuing loans, the uh, B minus credits that have very high leverage, no free cash flow, and are suffering from this rate phenomenon you're talking about with an additional 500 base points of spread being added to their coupon. Uh, they are not trading at par. They're trading at uh, pretty wide spreads. And so the markets uh, sees that and prices that accordingly. Uh, but clearly to your original point, that's going to be where the first leg of stress and defaults are going to come is from, from that part. If we have this higher for longer environment where uh, the Fed maybe pauses and we stay at higher rates for a while, the loan market uh, will start to converge with the high yield and investment grade market that are going to have maturities coming more maybe 24, 25, probably not have another couple of years, probably 2025 is more realistic. But if we're in this environment in two years and the high yield market starts to feel the same pressure because they have to refi when their uh, uh, bonds come due and they're going to uh, have to uh, issue at prevailing rates, which will be much higher. Uh, so the loan markets can be a problem for now, and then but, but then down the road will be a problem for other markets. What is hard to call and why you can't make a macro call on this is that there are ways for companies to work this out. So if you're over levered, you can't refi, you're running into a maturity or running thin on cash. We are seeing some uh, uh, equity sponsors in the LBO market put more capital into the deal and work with lenders to extend the runway. So you will see some of that where the deal gets reworked to kind of recognize the environment we're in. And so that will mitigate some defaults. But beyond that, I think defaults just are going higher. 
So on, on that note, you, you you mentioned it's difficult to say where you know exactly where we are in the cycle. You you describe it as late cycle. You're talking about some of the dynamics of like 24 and 25. Do we make it that far in the cycle? Um, you know, or, or I mean, we obviously make it, but do we have a recession prior to that? And how does a recession kind of play out through the corporate markets? Like again, historically, and in your view today? Yeah. Well. If you look today, the credit markets are not suggesting that a recession is imminent. They are pretty much contradicting all contradicting all the other macro signals that you see, whether it's LEI or negative uh, or an inverted yield curve or any of the other macro uh, signals people want to point to. So there's definitely uh, some sort of contradicting going on. I think that uh, what I actually think will happen is regardless of a recession or not, some of the credits in the below investment grade space are going to default either way because they're companies that were financed in a different world. They're not growing. They have too much debt and they're going to have to be restructured one way or the other. So I think the default rate's going up whether we have a recession or not. Um, regarding the recession itself, if the macro indicators are correct and that a recession's coming, maybe it's just not coming this year, but maybe it's coming in 2024. We could have this environment where instead of a draw, rapid drawdown and a fast uh, Fed-induced recovery like we've had before, maybe we have this slow uh, bleed out over time where, where the default rate kicks up little by little. Uh, first, there's the companies in the loan market that, uh, that can't handle the increased coupon and then they have to restructure. And then maturities later as high yield and other loan market participants come to uh, a maturity that they can't refinance, they start to default. And if the economy isn't growing very rapidly and financial conditions remain tight with higher interest rates for a longer period of time, maybe we just have this corrosive effect of a longer period of, of stress in the credit markets. I could see that be more likely than what we're used to over the last decade, which is uh, collapsing markets followed by a rapid rebound. And well, I, I, Ask you like from the last time in the last cycle, if you think about the pandemic, you know, we saw the Fed step in, we saw the Fed support credit markets through IG, through high yield, buying ETFs, providing, you know, extraordinary liquidity out there. And I've heard from a lot of investors that people believe in the next cycle, the Fed will do that again. Uh, potentially that's what QE looks like going forward. And therefore it makes corporate credit a higher quality asset than the past. What is your take on that? And do you one, do you believe in that? And secondly, what are implications, rightly or wrongly, of that? Well, I don't believe in that. And if I believe, even if I believe that the Fed, you know, might step in, I don't think that that's a very robust uh, investment thesis on on a on a, on a on a on a borrower to say that you know you're you're uh, you're relying on the Federal Reserve to come in and bail you out. That doesn't sound like a great way to go. Um, uh, so I don't think that's the case. I think that it's very possible that inflation remains persistently elevated, and then the Fed won't be in a position to be able to spray money everywhere. Um, some people think that the inflation is going to peak this, or excuse me, not peak, it's going to trough this year around 3% and then start ticking back up. I think that's the double line view. So if, if that view is right and inflation uh, uh, starts to tick back up in 2024, How's the Fed going to really cut? I mean, maybe maybe they cut a little bit, but the idea that they're going to uh, go back to the old QE playbook of supporting capital markets while inflation is running, you know, more like four percent—that just doesn't seem realistic to me. So, no, I, I don't like it as an investment thesis. 
even if I believed it, which I don't, but I think the inflation environment is just going to tie the Fed's hands. You know, one of the things uh, I've been uh, talking to clients a lot lately and prospective clients, and one of the things that they, I hear time and time again is people are thinking that the, the outright yield, absolute yield on high yield, and you know, maybe even the loans are are pretty juicy, but um, and and they're thinking about dipping their toes in the water or adding to the to, to their positions. But uh, you know something that you mentioned earlier, you're just saying that they're not really pricing in a recession at this time with with spreads on the other side. So, given that construct, you know between the the, the outright yield and then the spread that's embedded in there, how are you thinking about it in terms of you know perhaps positioning in in high yield and and bank loans within investors' portfolios is is the spread juicing enough? It doesn't sound like it is. Now, I think in order to invest in this environment, you have to pick an outlook and stick with it. So you either have an outlook that the recession's coming or you don't. If you don't think the recession's coming, yeah, buy everything because we're going to have a takeoff or whatever the analogy is. And this all this, all this stuff will work. I don't have that outlook. I think that the, uh, the macro data is pretty sobering and you can't ignore it. And so I think it makes the likelihood of recession you know, better odds that it happens, higher probably that happens than not. I think that maybe it doesn't happen this year, but if you have an outlook that, that, that there's economic weakness and a recession on the horizon, I think you have to pay attention to spreads. So um, high yield in particular has been in this range of 400 over to 600 over broadly, a little bit less, but, you know, call 400 to 580. Uh, I think trading that range has, has worked. So when you get to low 400s, I think you're supposed to be trimming high yield. When it gets north of 500, I think you're supposed to be buying because once you get north of 500, you start to get compensated for the potential for a, for a recession. So that's how I think about high yield. The loan market doesn't really trade that way. Um, I think in the loan market, if loan market, if you want to buy into the loan market, uh, you buy in the higher quality parts of the loan market. And we were talking about people saying, you know, up in quality. Uh, we've talked about how double Bs are a good place uh, in the loan market because the default expectation for the double B cohort is less than 1%. So if you have any decent credit selection, you're going to be able to avoid, you know, the, the stress if there's a recession. And if the, the loan market uh, spread or discount margin right now is about 350, I mean, getting, eight, getting 850 uh, all in yield for something that you don't think is going to default uh, and in the event of default has a very high recovery. So you have very little uh, uh, loss expectation. That's a lot of yield. So that, that would compensate you for you know, bad things happening. So I don't like high yield in the low 400s. I think up in quality high yield is too hard. It's crowded and, and, and the yield isn't there. Uh, I'd rather buy double B loans and pick up at least 100 basis points, maybe more depending on the credit versus double B high yield. So that makes sense to me. Um, you know, another thing we haven't talked about is a lot of people, a lot of clients talk about investment grade as a treasury replacement. So that's a hot thing that's out there. Uh, and it is true. Some people talk about, oh, there's been all this issuance in investment grade and not going to cause stress down the road. Well, yeah, remember that some of the highest credit quality companies in the world have issued in the investment grade space, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon. I mean, these are companies that have, I mean, gargantuan balance sheets. They have negative uh, uh, net debt, meaning they have more cash than they do loans or, 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 or bonds in their capital structure. So uh, they, they trade at very tight spreads and people have been uh, hiding out there as well. So 
that trades hard with a, a with T bills north of five percent. So you know you buy an investment grade around five percent, a little over five percent, or buy a T bill. That's a tough trade, but uh, sort of cover a, a lot of ground here. But uh, I think you buy high yield if it widens. You don't buy it today, and maybe you buy some bank loans because they already have yield, and then you wait for something more interesting to happen. So I wanted to just follow up on something you mentioned there because I do hear it a lot as well. Just the IG space as a substitute or, you know, complement to, to treasuries for the risk off sentiment. And when I hear that, I think that, you know, what you just said, you know, there's certain corporate credit names out there that do have that cash, you know, balance sheet that's massive and they can, you know, the spreads typically tighter, but that's not all you're getting in the index. So in these types of situations where we are in the cycle, when I hear people say that, you know, I always talk about the advantages of um, active management and that it comes down to the credit selection. So what are, what can you do as a manager in the space? And let's just keep it to IG for now, because we're talking about this risk off proxy. Um, what are you looking at, you know, in terms of you know, potential downturn, keeping in the mind that you want this IG space to, to hold up well during a, a recession. So like what type of analysis are you doing? What sectors might, you know, perhaps do better than others during uh, this type of weakness that we might be getting soon? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I, I think we have to recognize we're in a period, probably the greatest period in the last decade where credit selection matters. It really hasn't mattered for a long time. We've been in an environment where beta trades worked. So you've liked an asset class, you liked high yield, or you liked emerging markets, or you know, you, you're putting on these beta trades where you're just allocating to a sector. And now we're seeing great dispersion amongst uh, the constituents of these asset classes. And we're seeing that the, the dispersion of managers is widening because it's all about credit selection. So we can talk about like if we want to talk about investment grade first, a couple examples. Uh, you know, Microsoft. Microsoft is not going to default. It'll be here in 30 years. So if you buy a 30-year Microsoft, they will be here to pay their bond. Some 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 uh, junior uh, person working in the Treasury office will realize that in 2021 they printed a bond at like 10 over, and that'll come due someday. And the, the, those bonds will sit in the capital structure. But then there's other parts of the investment grade market. Take a retail like Dick Sports. You know, is that a company you want to hold through a recession? Maybe not. And so that's where uh, individual credit selection is important. I was actually looking at what credits had uh, a very steep credit curve, uh, a, a maturity curve. And uh, Dick Sports has one of the wider ones, which makes sense because if we go into recession, that's a retailer that's going to be under pressure. So you have to make these idiosyncratic decisions. Like, do you want to own Microsoft? Do you want to own Apple? And do you want to own these retailers on the other end? Because how will they perform in a weak credit environment? REITs are part of the uh, investment grade space. And clearly they've been under stress as, uh, as uh, rates have been rising. And so if you held REITs, you, you know, you felt you, you're, it's kind of too late. You're already feeling the pain. And what about the regional banks? If you owned SVP, or you owned uh, uh, First Republic, or you owned these perpetual preferred uh, notes that were first in, in loss if the bank becomes insolvent, uh, you're stuck with those. So the people who chose not to buy them are performing better than the ones who didn't, or who did buy them. Uh, we didn't buy them at Double Line, so that was good. We, we get to toot our horn for that and you know brag a little bit that we didn't own the perpetual preferreds and we didn't own any regional banks. But credit selection is very important. And I think that's the trade 
in an environment like uh, uh, we're in right now. Um, I think the credit selection is very important and the beta trade's not here right now. So on that front too, there's been a lot made about the banking sector. You know, you, you kind of alluded to it here. Um, you know, it seems that, um, you know, there's been the shoring up of some of the regional banks. Uh, there's been a lot celebrated there. What is your outlook for the kind of regional banking system as a whole? Is there concern there? Do you think we're through the woods yet? It was just a temporary blip. Um, kind of uh, give us your thinking about that. Oh, I, I think that the regional banking uh, market is going to be under worsening pressure, really, because uh, there's the likelihood that additional regulation comes. So it's hard to figure out how they navigate that. They've had this, you know, the risks, risks built up because the uh, bigger banks, what people call the GSIBs, the globally uh, systemically important banks, were all under greater regulatory scrutiny. So they couldn't build up the risks that the regional banks had. I think now that Congress is paying attention to that, they're gonna make, they're gonna make the regionals probably have the type of regulatory framework the big banks have. Well, they can't really handle that. Uh, and there's this whole question of, with money being able to move so quickly, how do you trust the asset base of a bank? If you can, in a click of a, of, of a mouse, move money from uh, you know, Silicon Valley Bank to, to T-bills or wherever, how does that work? I think that's a business, uh, business plan problem that is gonna develop over time. So I, I don't know, I, I think that that's a dangerous spot. Uh, I could see that, uh, that uh, you know, there's gonna be more stress that we haven't seen the last regional bank failure. Uh, you look at the market and the spreads trade as, uh, in the high yield space, uh, high yield levels of spread. So the market's pretty nervous about them. And financial institutions that have high yield spreads don't, don't work very well. It's, <laughs> the, the ARB doesn't work when you have to pay high yield coupons. So I don't know, I think we're in for further stress in that space. But isn't it also a function of, you know, if they're, the longer the Fed keeps rates at or above current levels, um, it keeps T-bill rates high. T-bill rates high mean high money market yields. High money market yields says that people should wake up and realize their banks aren't paying them. And really, I think time is just actually the enemy of these banks right now, right? Because ultimately, you know, as there's more water mouth that gets spread around, people say, wait, you know, I can make 500 basis points plus by just moving, opening a new account and buying a money market fund. So doesn't that inherently cause stress on these banks in general as well? Well, the, the inverted yield curve is, is killer for, for the bank. So it's a big problem. But what, it, wasn't, it wasn't inverted really when you think about it, right? Because if you're not paying market rate, it yeah. wasn't inverted, right? So that, that's what I'm getting at is that it's, it's really a deposit flight that causes a problem or the fear of the deposit flight, which forces the banks to actually be competitive with deposit rates. That, well, that's where I'm going. Yeah, but in an environment where rates were near zero, if you got 10 basis points at you know, SVB and you got 30 basis points in the money market, it didn't matter. But now there's so much yield, it, it matters a lot. I suppose the magic question is... Uh, uh, how much maintenance cash are at the banks now? And what I mean by maintenance cash is if you're a company, you have to have cash on hand to make payroll and to buy inventory and so on. So you can't move it all to T-bills and to money markets. If you are an individual, you have to have money to you know, pay your mortgage, pay your, make your car payment, pay the electric bill. You can't just have that all sitting in money markets. You can have a lot, but there's some maintenance cash that sits around. Uh, it probably hasn't reached that level, to your point. There's probably more deterioration to happen. So 
Yeah, I'm pretty negative on the on the regional banks. So uh, we uh, some some credit manager are kind of sniffing around and trying to find things to buy. I think it's very difficult to buy into that business model right now. Well, talk to us about the way you think about this too. So you know, th there's different styles of running credit portfolios, right? There's the people who like risk on all the time, right? Think that there's excess spread there. You know, you're going to deal with some defaults and workouts, but over the long run, it's worth it. There's other the, the the chicken little approach, as I'll call it, to the sky's always falling. We want to hide in high quality. And then there's kind of like the folks who try to, you know, rotate around. So how would you describe the way you and the team run credit here at Double Line? And is it the same within, let's say, the way you think about high yield or, and or loans versus investment grade? I think it's more about portfolio strategy than the asset classes. So you take our low duration strategy there, we're trying to be chicken little. There should be nothing to see. So if the credit has any complexity, any story to it, any reason why this might not work out or maybe just have volatility, we bump it out of the portfolio. Uh, contrast that on the other end of the spectrum, the closed end funds, you're supposed to just ride things out. So we're not worried about as much spread volatility about you know prices, uh, uh, you know, moving around. I think we're worried about, will this credit ultimately perform? Is it going to be able to meet its uh, uh, maturity schedule as promised uh, without any deterioration? So it really is a matter of, of portfolio. So we try to take, you know, in the closed end funds, you're accepting an illiquidity premium to get additional yield. And you're also, to generate the higher uh, income, you're accepting a level of volatility. If you have that mindset, you have to invest through a cycle. You can't buy credit today and worry that it's down, you know, down a few ticks. You have to be able to ride it through. So it really depends on the strategy. That's how we we, we think about it. Like, does this bond and this portfolio construction work for the portfolio strategy that we're trying to put together? So it, it it's very different depending on where we are, you know, in each portfolio that we're managing. Well, let, let me ask a different question on risk too. What, what part of the market today, and you can't say regional banks since we already discussed it, what part of the market today do you think is something that um, you inherently want to avoid, but you see other folks that are jumping in on that or said differently, what do you think is a, is a risk and a part of the, your market that's a risk today that people are underappreciating? I'm trying to help our listeners out here. Yeah, well, uh, in the weaker part, we talked about weaker bank loans. So the B minus triple C's that are weak for the reasons we talked about, high interest rates, uh, high leverage and so on. Uh, that's traditionally a great uh, fishing ground for distressed opportunities, particularly if you're up in the capital structure, senior secured, secured by all the assets of the business, they typically uh, generate high returns in an environment like this. I'm in, I am a lot more cautious about that. I don't know if I'm outright avoiding, but the documents and uh, the, the documents we've had over the last 10 years keep getting looser and looser. So the protections you had and just the very fact of your security, your priority is getting stripped away. I think it can be uh, a lot more dangerous than uh, what it looked like in the past. It used to be a bank loan in the 80s, you buy, because it's probably par, because you have a senior secured claim on everything. So if you have you know, more than 100 cents of value, you'll eventually get that value. In an environment where all the documents, all the protections are weakened, uh, chances are you may even have a deficiency. So instead of 80, it might be worth 50. So I think in the bank loan space where the credit documents and leverage are so high, 
I think that's the area that I'm in the, you know, not talking about regional banks, we're going to pick some other spot. I think that's the danger spot because we just, we need to see how these things play out. You can't rely on the normal protections to save you. I know, I know you've been really vocal, you know, at, at our um, investment meetings and you and your team have been doing a good job about, you know, seeing what lies ahead in terms of the U.S. economy and potential defaults and, and uh, losses here. So you've been actively shifting around credits within the various sectors, be it IG, high yield, or loans, and using that term that you said, you know, up in quality, trying to move up in quality. But as we think about how your portfolio are sculpted today relative to what might be yet to come, so let's just say through um, the remaining half of this year or even the first half of 2024, how would you envision that changing if we were to see an economic contraction come through? And what are some of the road signs that you'd be looking at to, to tell you to start moving or changing it even, even more, if at all? Well, I, I'm going to make a comment that I think can extend beyond corporate credit to all credit. But the time for de-risking, the moment is really past us. Like I said, how, how efficient uh, credit markets are at pricing risk. The weaker credits have already been marked down. You could argue they've been marked down below intrinsic value or not. That's an idiosyncratic name-by-name -name analysis. Where we're talking about the corporate credit market or beyond, you know, CMBS, for example, is in, in the news a lot. That's, that's under stress. There's other areas under stress. Parts of the CLO market are under stress. And so I think the de-risking we've done over the last, I don't know, year and a half at least, it's been an ongoing process. Uh, I think that that's mostly complete. I think that uh, now we're not going to make a big reconstruction of the portfolio. I think what we try to do now is find individual names at risk of deterioration and see if they've hit, yet hit their, um, you know, their... Uh, intrinsic value if, if there's still more downside risk. And if there is that downside risk, we'll, we'll try to get rid of it and sell it. Um, but I think that de-risking is mostly done. And I don't think there's a lot of opportunity to do that. If there's a really risky credit that's not gonna survive either an economic cycle or not have a way to refinance itself, it's already trading at pretty dis distressed levels. So I almost think like we're getting to the point, we're not there yet. We sort of have to start thinking about offense instead of defense. We've had over a year of de-risking. Now we have to think about, uh, well, maybe things have gotten so cheap it's time to buy. I think that's premature because I expect spreads to widen, but I'm sort of prepping that. And the work we're doing is what credits do we think will survive through a cycle? Um, what credits do we think, uh, you know, for whatever reason, will make it through the economic weakness that, we, that, we're, that we're, you know, projecting to come? And if that happens, are we prepared to buy it uh, on weakness? So uh, that's what we're thinking now. I think the uh, up in quality trade is starting to get very crowded. And uh, I think it's mostly, if you haven't done it already, you can have a hard time doing it. All right, Cohen. So um, as, as we look through all of this, we talked through your style of management. We talked about, you don't remember anything prior to double line. We've brainwashed you. Um, we, uh, we've talked about kind of some of the pitfalls out there. What is the most important conversation you are having with our clients and prospects today? Oh, uh, the most important conversation. I think it's about being, uh, about patience. I think that's the most important thing. People, uh, want to, uh, you know, they, they want a like clear answer. Are we going to recession or not? Is it time to put money to work? 
And I think the most important thing is to is to like stick to the discipline of we have an outlook. Uh, it has not created opportunities yet, but uh, I think it will. And so let's not force anything. Um, I was talking to some clients, uh, you know, in some markets who they, you know they're like itchy to put money to work, and you know sometimes just doing nothing is okay. So I think that's it. I think it's patience and waiting for the right opportunity. Yeah, no, I think that's that's a great that's a great response there too because what happens is that a lot of times you know the market kind of just takes off, and you know there's still some degradation in the data, but the momentum is self fulfilling, especially in risk assets, right? And so I, I think that's really really good advice. So so thanks uh, thanks Colin for uh, telling us about that. And you know so for those that aren't familiar uh, with with you, where can they find your work here at DoubleLine? Uh, where can they find my work? Well, I, I, I have a couple of white papers that are posted. Uh, I have a couple of videos on DoubleLine. I think it's on DoubleLine.com or DoubleLineFunds.com. I should know the answer, but I don't. <laughs> you don't know the answer. It's on DoubleLine.com. There is no more DoubleLineFunds.com anymore. So we, we right. merged the two. And further, it's also on our YouTube channel, Cohen, and uh, YouTube.com backslash DoubleLine Capital. Perfect. All right. Well, thanks for the help on that. So, yeah. yes. Yeah. Yeah, well, we don't put uh, Cohen out very often because he's not good at marketing, but he is he is pretty good at running portfolios. So we're gonna, we'll let you stick to your day job. <laughs> we'll, we'll be out here telling people about that. So thanks, Cohen. Thanks for joining us today. Really appreciate it. I think it's a good conversation. It's very timely, especially sitting here you know, in early June. We've had a pretty good risk rally for the last two months after some, some scariness in the markets over there in March. And uh, it sounds like to me that uh, we're, we need to uh, keep that uh, virtue of patience. So thanks again. Uh, however, you've you've done this before, so you know you don't just get to sign off. You have to go to Sam's favorite part of the show. So Sam? And that favorite part of the show, Doctor, is called Sherman Says. It's where I will offer a series of prompts betwixt Sherman and you to get a top of mind response. To kick it off, I'm gonna give it to Sherman with S&P 500, bull or null? Null. Well, that one oh, was that for Sherman. Sherman. Sorry, I had to jump in there. <laughs> you got excited. Yeah. Got excited. All right, sorry, I took, your, have his took question? So Sherman, the second one here for you, S&P 500, bull or null? No, I'm gonna agree with doctor. I'll take the third question too, Colin. The, uh, yeah, I mean, like Flockward, you got that 20% up off the bottoms, uh, off the lows. I saw the, the bull market. Yeah, yeah, the bull market where you're, you're still below the all-time high, but if we're in a bull market, it's really crazy, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right, Dr. Cohen, Dr. Robert Cohen, just for clarity. Yeah. Chatbots. The future. Sherman, layoffs. The future. Oh, man. I'm, not, I'm not saying you guys. I'm just pointing out. Uh, that was nice. You know, unemployment claims are taken up, man. Unemployment rates up. I don't know. This looks like layoffs of the future. Look at mega cap. I think it's uh, the past even. So um, anyway, I like to use people's phrases from their previous questions. So that's why it was the future. Yeah. Well, it's nice knowing you guys. Spacing these out better. <laughs> hey, if there's one of us, if if we got to do a thirty percent reduction, one of us is out. So. Yeah, I guess it's the guy that's bad at marketing. So <laughs> <laughs> with that, I'll sign off here. All right. <laughs>
Cohen, back to you. Yeah. Debt service. I'm sorry. Repeat that. Debt service. Challenged. Loan forgiveness. Is that going to me? That's back to Sherm. I'm going to alternate it between yeah. the two of you. I just wanted to see if he's going to answer it. That's why I was waiting. <laughs> um, moral hazard. All right, Cohen, let's see. That was not a question. That was an answer to your loan forgiveness, Sam. Let's see. Uh, <laughs> let's see, Cohen. Gonna are you just one. making these up or you have them ready to go? <laughs> a little bit of both. A little bit of both. All right. I'm, I'm perusing here. Uh, how about tighter lending conditions? Tighter lending conditions persistent. Back to you, Sherman. Let's go with uh, central bank surprises. <clears throat> um, they've already delivered on it. So RBA and uh, someone said RBC on our investment. I think they meant the Bank of Canada, the BOC. I think they were thinking about That's banks. The Royal Bank. <laughs> wrong kind of bank. Uh, but, you know, there are two surprises this week. Uh, I don't think there's surprises next week, meaning Fed does not hike and then ECB does hike. So uh, I think uh, the surprises were short-lived. Yeah, I think the, uh, the, the misstatement of the RBC came on the back of the RBA, which is the Reserve Bank, right, of Australia, but then I think an RBC yeah. with the Royal Bank of Canada and then the BOC. Yeah, yeah. yeah even though... Um, you know, that was weird seeing that the, you know, the uh, the coronation of King Charles, too, that you know, I always think of Canadians as being like, you know, very American like and then watching the royal mounties there, you know, marching. I'm like, man, I feel like it was traitorous, you know, like they're going back to the old guard. But then I remember, you know, anyway, uh, the royal made me start thinking about, you know, the royal mounties. So and uh, our Commonwealth neighbors, I guess. Yeah, or as, uh, I did like our our global PM what she said yesterday. She said that she doesn't think that we import Canada's surprise, just their smoke. Right, so I thought that was pretty good that she said yesterday. No That's one else right. laughed. I chuckled, but it didn't seem to went went over a lot of people's heads. I think <laughs> that was a good one. All right, let me see here, Cohen. Uh, revenues, revenues are decelerating wildfires well i guess uh you already kind of talked about sherman but the wildfires yeah, i don't want that smoke how's that <laughs> all right let's <laughs> right, wrap us up here uh dr cohen with summertime oh excited ready for it two words planned two responses yeah i was gonna say i'm the living zz but uh you know, so um, what uh, those you don't know, Mr. Cohen lives in probably the hottest part of California as well. So oh, come on. why are you looking forward to the summertime <laughs> is why I'm going to ask. Why am I looking forward to the summer? Yeah. I mean, we've had a, a pretty lousy weather here in SoCal. It's been raining and cold and it's in the 60s here, which is not warm for the hottest place in California, as you say. So ready for some sunshine and some heat. All right. Well, uh, hopefully that's the case with credit markets and markets in general that we get some sunshine and heat. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's, do it. Yeah, let's do it. So thanks, Robert. Thanks for taking the time today. Uh, for those of you who don't remember, this is Robert Cohen. He is the director of global development credit here at DoubleLine. He's also a portfolio manager on various strategies and our go-to expert on everything in the developed credit world. So again, thanks, Cohen, for joining us today. Uh, we can always see our videos on youtube.com backslash double line capital. Uh, in addition to our podcast, we have our webcasts up there as well. Uh, Channel 11, which is our other 
uh, publication we put out. And uh, if you want to see Lau and his other uh, daylight or moonlighting job, uh, he's also you can catch him on the Monday Morning Minutes, which is only in podcast format uh, because he's been trying to hide it from me off the YouTube channel. So again, thanks Twitter okay. Spaces Live. Sorry to interrupt, but I do. Oh, Twitter Spaces. They do Twitter Spaces at uh, 1 p.m. Eastern every day. So I told them you're going to have to stop calling it the Monday Morning Minutes if you're broadcasting live in the middle of the market on Friday. But uh, again, they, they don't take my advice. So uh, yeah. Twitter Spaces, the other thing you can see, uh, you can actually see them in live or hear them in live action. There's no video on the Spaces, right? Um, so again, uh, if you want to keep listening to these podcasts, audio only and uh, not enjoy our matching outfits that we have on today. Uh, you can catch that on, on uh, Apple, on Google, on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and various other sources. So thanks again. Stay tuned, everyone, for the new episode coming soon. Thanks again, Colin. All right. Thank you. All right. The audio presentation represents DoubleLine's intellectual property. No portion of this presentation may be published, reproduced, transmitted, or rebroadcast in any media in any form without the expressed written permission of DoubleLine. DoubleLine has no obligation to provide any updates or changes. To receive permission from DoubleLine, please contact media at DoubleLine.com. Neither DoubleLine nor any of its affiliates make any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast. Liability, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. DoubleLine is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice in this podcast. The receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by any DoubleLine entity or individual to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any DoubleLine entity. The portfolio risk management process includes an effort to monitor and manage risk, but does not imply low risk. Copyright 2023. DoubleLine Capital.